The American dream inspires many, but it's not without its flaws. The reality is people experience workforce discrimination in many forms. It's time to open our eyes and have challenging yet enlightening conversations. It's not always easy, but we need to start in order to make a difference. That conversation begins here. Welcome to the Untapped Podcast. Welcome back once again to another episode of the Untapped Podcast. I am Emmett, and as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Jeremy. It's been a few months since we've recorded, so we're excited to be back and give you a new insightful episode. This week, we are sitting down with Sari Ibrahim, a financial professional and a host of his own podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. He's a seasoned podcast veteran with over 120 podcast appearances. We are thrilled he decided to join us and talk about his experience with discrimination within his career and discuss solutions on getting more representation within the finance industry. Sari, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So give us a little bit of a background on your career and your education and how you got into the workforce and the financial industry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Um, so I really started like my, my professional career when I was doing my master's degree in business about six years ago uh, in Chicago. That's where I'm from. And uh, I really, I had, I didn't have a clear path of what I wanted to do, but I wanted to help people. I wanted to be a problem solver. And I liked uh, to talk about money, but more so from as use a tool as a, as a tool and how it could be like a root of a problem or even a root of an opportunity. So that was really intriguing to me. But again, I had no clear path yet. So I thought if I get in my MBA, that'll probably open up more doors, not just career wise, but also uh, with certainty and clarity. I'll, I'll, I'll have a better understanding of where to go at that point. And about halfway through my MBA program, I started working at insurance companies. So I worked at like Allstate and a couple other insurance companies. And I really started to see the way that, that these companies would manage risk, the way they would take opportunities. And that got my light bulbs going off in my head about how to you know, make money, how to manage money. Uh, and then that really opened the door for financial planning. So after that, I started the company Financial Asset Protection. So we're a financial services firm. We help clients in all 50 states. And, and I really enjoy doing it because we do it more from like a coaching side rather than an advising side. We work with clients from all backgrounds from people who are still in college and who aren't even working yet all the way to, you know, somebody who is in their sixties and is looking to retire. So we have a very wide range of, uh, of demographics of who we work with. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure so far work with a lot of clients and, and helping a lot of people reach their financial goals, whether that's getting out of debt, whether that's, um, you know, saving for retirement, whatever the case might be. So we, we, we help with all different angles. That's a great start. Awesome introduction. So as we get into DEI, according to Forbes, finance is one of the slowest industries to evolve due to the lack of diversity. What do you feel is needed to change this trend? Yeah, definitely. It's a good question. So, so with, um, you know, I guess a lot of, you know, conventional financial planning. So like typically when you go, when you, when you think of the word financial advisor or financial planner, you think of like your, you know, local bank or insurance company or insurance agency or like, you know, a financial services office, and they tend to be in more, more of affluent areas, which means that areas that are not that um, wealthy lack financial planners and financial services professionals in those areas. So I think that's a huge problem because that's like saying you have to have money to talk to a financial planner. And I think that that's not true at all. You could talk to a financial planner or somebody who is 
knowledgeable about finance at any point in at, at your life. Absolutely. So within that experiences and what you've seen, how do you see ways to improve upon that? How do you, what kind of solutions do you think can be brought in to actually have those financial institutions and maybe within your own experience, within your own company, how are you going about accomplishing that? Yeah, the, the internet has definitely made it a lot easier. Like before, like, you know, 20 years ago, you had to actually be face to face with somebody. So that would have, that would create a lot of geographical limits. But with the internet and Zoom and, you know, all the other technology we have nowadays, uh, we could we could help clients anywhere. And that's that's what I'm doing right now is I'm helping clients entirely over Zoom and over the phone. So that way there are no ge geographic limitations, whether they're in, you know, Florida or California or Texas, wherever they're at, I can help them. So that I think is one recent trend that's happening is that there's going to be more um, like Zoom meetings and phone call meetings between financial professionals and, you know, anybody at any point of, of their working life and financial life. Uh, so that's that's kind of something that's changing right now, and I I think it's going to keep increasing. I think more and more people are going to trust uh, people um, digitally and over like Zoom and over the phone and other types of uh, technology. I agree with that technology involvement and, and how everything is evolved is changing mm -hmm. the game now. So mm -hmm. much that 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 is a big point of emphasis now. So what steps would you take to eliminate bias for the hiring process, especially within finance? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a there's a book called uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck. And the book talks about the differences between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. So like a, a fixed mindset is where you rely on qualities that you don't really have any control over. So for example, where you grew up, where you went to school, um, other types of abilities you have or capabilities you have, you, fixed mindset would rely only on those and would only seek positions and other things in life based on your fixed qualities. Whereas growth mindset would say that, you know, you're not at that stage yet, but you have the potential to get there through discipline, through hard work, through practice. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one way to solve discrimination in workplaces, especially in finance, is through um, understanding that those differences, understanding growth mindset versus, versus fixed mindset and having the employers and HR understand these, these, these mindset principles where it's um, you might hire somebody and you don't have to hire them to already know their job already know or or maybe they didn't go to, you know, the ideal school that you wanted them to go to or something like that, like fixed qualities, rather you hire them based off of their potential and what they could do. So definitely more awareness about mindset and, and the differences between growth mindset and fixed mindset could reduce discrimination in the workforce. Thank yeah. you for that. And kind of piggybacking off of those comments, how would you counteract comments that come from possibly leadership and sometimes HR? where it says we just hire or promote the best person for the job, regardless of race or gender. Would you agree with that? And do you think that we are improving upon that in today's day and age? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's definitely been a lot of improvement over the last, like, I don't know, 30 years, for sure. There's been a lot of improvement. I think there's been a lot of improvement because they had to improve, like legally speaking, there's, there's been, you know, tons of lawsuits and um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and the whole and other government agencies and entities are definitely stepping in. So a lot of companies might hire, they actually have to hire, you know, a di they have to have a diverse background so that way they could potentially, you know, mitigate future lawsuits and things like that. 
that's a good thing and a bad thing, right? It's a good thing because we do see more diver- diversity in the workforce. It's also kind of a bad thing because the only reason they're doing so is because they, they technically have to. So that's one, one side of it. The other side of it is we're becoming more globalized, right? At, at, with, with social media, I think more people are alike than we are different. So social media is definitely opening that up in certain ways. It's opening that up and it's also dividing that too. So I, I guess it's, it's the, the, you know, the attitude of the employees and employers and the perspective of, of the workforce. Uh, but I definitely think that overall, we've, we're seeing more di- diversity in, in the workforce. You made an excellent point with, as far as the social media, it could benefit you or it could be to your detriment. That is a, yep. a great point because everything now with everything being digitalized, you can record something and then post it to someone's page and, and you could just do it as a an anonymous page. And I think the point there is excellent because we're always looking for something to gossip about mm-hmm. and, and have a conversation centered around. And sometimes what we forget is everything is not mis- meant to be posted on social media. Mm-hmm. And that's where the division comes in. So, so excellent point there. Um, so have you faced any obstacles in your career progression or ability to participate in processes or groups that are not experienced by all of your colleagues? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. So in, in other words, um, you know, have I been put in a situation in the workforce where I'm working with people who I don't think are qualified? Yes. Y- yeah, I mean, definitely that, that happens, I think, in every industry and in every type of company and, you know, every setting that you're going to have that to think of specific exact examples, I wouldn't be able to do so. But I guess to elaborate on that is that, you know, people have people are in different situations and different careers for many different reasons. They might have known the boss, they may have known the person hiring them, they may know the the CEO of the company. And I think that those factors are detrimental. There's another book I recommend, it's called Principles by Ray Dalio. And and he has a whole section in the book talking about hiring and how when you hire people based off of just knowing them already outside of the work setting, that that's detrimental to both the employees getting hired and the employers, because you're pretty much putting skill sets aside and saying, just because I know you, you're going to get this job. And then that undermines the company. It undermines the positions. It undermines the skills necessary. So that's that's still a common problem today. People get jobs because of, they just know somebody. They also keep their jobs, you know, even after doing you know wrong things because they know the CEO. They're probably related to something in the company. Um, yeah, that's definitely something that's still around till today. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that's a, a great segue again into you know situations where things are inappropriate or, you know, sometimes uh, where a colleague is being either culturally insensitive, sexist, racist, or or homophobic. What Mm -hmm. would you like to see as a solution? How would you envision um, solving some of those problems as well? Yeah, I think uh, solving those problems would be like, you know, hiring based off of skill sets and then also potential. So, so if you can have, for example, um, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have an HR background, but I think that one thing that would help is like, if you had, for example, um, annual reviews or, or reviews every six months where you're testing testing employees on their skills and just through like um, uh, assessments, um, manual auto, auto, automated assessments. This way you could you could track the progress of the employee rather than just um, seeing what they're currently doing, but rather what they're progressing at, especially from a skill set perspective. I think that that will keep employees like constantly learning and studying and We'll keep things in companies probably already do this. I just think more companies need to do this. I like that point um, because uh, we talked about degrees and and certifications in our past podcast. Mm -hmm. 
And sometimes what what ends up happening is if you look at me in, in a, a certain sense, I have multiple degrees, I have multiple certifications, but that does not mean that I'm more qualified than someone who may not have that. They may have a list of courses that they may have taken to where they can accelerate a little bit quicker and they can learn a little bit better yeah. Uh, yeah. via that method. And I think sometimes what, what happens is, is that we place value in the wrong areas and that rec- that creates a bias uh, within an actual organization because you can easily say, oh yeah, I want the person that has all the education, but you're forgetting about this person who really has the true skill set. So great and excellent point that you made there. So do you feel that there is an underrepresentation in the financial service field? And if so, where? Yeah, I think, you know, definitely, you know, there, there's mostly like how I mentioned earlier with a lot of people only talk to a lot of financial planners only talk to people who have money. So that, that creates a lot of geographic differences and, and demographic differences in, in, in working with financial professionals. So I think that too, um, I think that it's, it's, it's definitely changing like more and more people are joining from different backgrounds are joining financial services, which is a good thing. That's something I promote. Like one of my goals that I want to do is I want to start a national not-for-profit organization that helps people um, all over in all 50 states, all for free, helps people in, in, in financial situations that they're having, hardships they're having. So if somebody, for example, is going through like uh, bankruptcy or they're going to lose their home or they're going to get evicted or they have credit card debt or any kind of financial, you know, or they need student loans, for example, to get into college or whatever the case might be, any type of financial problem they have, regardless of their economic situation. Um, I want to be able to help them through that, through the not-for-profit organization, all for free. And our only source of revenue would be through donations. That's the only way we would stay in business is through donations. I, I think it's going to be, that's a long-term project I have. It's probably going to take about five years to actually establish and and even make it into like a, an, a mobile app where people can log into it. So again, we're, we're reducing, you know, geo, geographic limitations. We're getting rid of that. We're getting rid of the financial planners who are only based up, paid based off of what clients could invest. And if clients can't invest anything, then the financial planners can't get paid. So we're going to eliminate that problem. And a couple other problems too. Like for some reason, there's a lot of um, predatory um, like efforts where companies target people in debt and then actually charge them to try to get out of debt. And then people, you know, are, are, they're literally charging people to help them get out of debt. And I see that as counterintuitive, like somebody who's already in a bad financial situation doesn't have money to keep paying somebody else to, you know, run their credit report every month or something like that. There's a lot of scams out there for people in debt. And unfortunately, those people are very vulnerable because they're already in debt. They're already, they're kind of desperately looking for different situations. So I want to eliminate that problem completely. No, that's awesome. That's a great aspiration and, you know, really, really exciting to hear someone, you know, making the effort and obviously giving us a different perspective on how a lot of these other institutions, you know, as you said, um, are predatory in some of these ways and taking advantage of, of others. Now, switching gears for a second, obviously, both people that you work with and your clients as well, some come from, I'm assuming, cultural and ethnic um, diverse backgrounds. What has been your experience working with those? Do you tailor your financial advice based off of the experiences within the cultural and ethnic uh, diversity between people? How do you go about, I guess, resolving those problems or making sure that everyone is successful? Yeah, so what we, what we do to make sure that every, everyone is successful is we have uh, something called a financial analysis meeting. This is where it's like a 60-minute meeting where we talk to clients 
and we get to know their financial situation and not just their financial situation, but also their specific financial goals. So for example, some of the questions on there are like, um, what does the word retirement mean to you? What does the word financial freedom mean to you? What does the word wealthy mean to you? And we're getting to know the client and what they mean, what their perception is of money and not just money, but also their goals. And we create solutions that are tailored to their actual, um, to their actual point, you know, to their actual situation in life. We don't try to, um, you know, assume anything or put people in different, you know, categories, but more so it's specific to them. And this is something also that's lacked in, in the financial services world is that a lot of financial planners would have a tool already in mind. And then when they, you know, work with a the client, they already have the tool that they thought about already in mind. So whatever the client says, it's going to result in their initial um, idea of what they had to help the client. Whereas we work the other way around. We're identifying the client's objective and then filling in a tool that could fit their objective. Definitely. So we're in our wrap-up phase. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us how Untapped can play a, wrap, a, play a role in fighting against discrimination in the workplace? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so from it has to be from the employees, right? It has to be from kind of a bottom-up approach where the employees and, and the people applying for jobs and working in companies have to make the change. Um, they're the ones that push the company. And one of the best ways to do that is through uh, to get educated, to learn more, obviously, to consult with professionals, uh, to always, you know, ask questions. Definitely, I think education is the biggest one. Further education, even if you're already educated, more education on top of that, I think, is is key for sure. Agreed. So one of the things that I was thinking about as we've kind of had these, this conversation, too, is, you know, I guess, as you said, you've worked from a technological standpoint, you've obviously been able to reach more people uh, that may not be going into the you know more affluent areas or you know don't really know where to go. So, and how do you? Yeah, I guess, so, how do you make those connections? Yeah, so a lot of the connections I'm I'm seeing right now through like a digital presence is through podcasting, just like this. So you know, at the end of every show, I give away a free book um, that talks about finding financial freedom. I give it away for free. If listeners reach out and schedule a 15 minute intro call, like a 15 minute free intro call, I send them that book for free. Um, that's one way. And then obviously through a lot of, you know, a lot of podcasts from a lot of backgrounds, like I've never been on a podcast where we talked about, you know, workforce discrimination, you know, so I'm glad to be here and talk about this, you know, because it, it opens up different doors. You know, I've, I've been on other shows where, the, you know, they're lawyers, you know, the, the podcasters are lawyers, and then the target audience are for lawyers. So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of diverse backgrounds. And then all, through like LinkedIn and through YouTube, like meeting a lot of people online, um, it helps a lot with spreading the word and, and being able to to help people. Uh, those are those are some of the ways and then you know um i am obviously still you know always learning i'm always a student so i'm you know the next step is um you know doing more video content and then producing more um content that helps people like you know in, in different different places different backgrounds different platforms so that's what i'm doing right now okay all right so for me i, I hear a lot of your the, the financial freedom so can you give us some some things that, you know, to promote you here on this podcast, can you give us some things that you do um, mm -hmm. other than the podcasting um, to help others in the financial services industry? Yeah, so this is what I do for a living, right? I help people and I, I help people with their financial situations. So, you know, I'm, I'm building financial, I'm understanding their situations and then building a plan for them. Like, for example, one, you know, just like I think of one client who, um, is kind of worried about the future of the stock market. They don't know what's going to happen. So I built a, a solution for them 
that is going to help them have like uh, financial freedom in retirement without having to worry about the stock market. And this is important because people think that automatically you have to take on some certain, you have to take on some risks. And that's not always true. Like you don't always have to take risks. There's, there's risk, you know, being an entrepreneur is risky. You know, everything is, is risk, but there are certain levels of risk and then the necessity of those risks. So I think that, you know, like for example, my company, I'm, I'm taking risk every day by running a company, but at the same time, it's calculated necessary risks. And we try to help our clients avoid unnecessary risks. And we could do so by building, you know, wealth predictably and on a guaranteed basis. So that's one, that's one way that I help clients. Another thing too that I'm doing is that I am helping people get into financial services. So if somebody wanted to get into financial services and was interested in that, I could also help them. I could walk them through the process of licensing, of finding the resources, and and I could you know potentially be their mentor. Not for everybody, of course, but I could potentially be their mentor. You know, uh, if they're interested in, in in doing that. So that's that's how I'm giving you know my financial advice to people and helping them. Um, it, just those few examples of how I'm helping people. Awesome. Uh, I have another curious yeah. question, though. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to, let's say you're mentoring someone. Yeah. And let's say if they're, depending on what race that they are, is there, do you feel that there is some type of, do you feel that there is a, a discriminatory issue when someone says, okay, you're being mentored by someone that is opposite color or an opposite ethnicity of you um do you see that that being a a negative or a positive no i i i, I don't see it any differently you know i i see it as it's always about i always keep it about the person and i mm -hmm. have methods of identifying how people learn what they like what they enjoy so these are the first things that we're doing you know uh, financial planning is a definitely it's a people driven industry. It's a it, it should be at least. It's not so much about companies, tools, technology. It's about the the people, both the advisor side and the 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 consumer side, the customer side. And we're getting to know each other personally. You know, so like for example, one of the questions when I meet somebody is, "How do you like to learn? Do you like to learn by watching videos? Do you like to learn by listening um, to like podcasts and more on the audio side, or do you like to read?" And, and pretty much from there, we would, you know, if they like to read, I would send them books. I would send them, you know, written content. Um, a lot of our content has been published into, you know, from, from the audio and video podcast into words like repurposed content. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it more on a person by person basis. I never assume that somebody is going to be the same based off of, you know, culture, other things. Because like, people, you never know. People are, are, are. Uh, unique and we're also again like i said we're we're much more similar than we are different i love that i, I love that answer that's awesome for you to say that that it, it's not based upon and you keep it on a person-to-person -person basis instead of looking at it as a group that's mm -hmm. huge because you're making an impact with that person to change their mentality immediately and, and that's that's huge when you're dealing with dei so i, I love that answer uh, but Emmett, that that literally is my last question. Well, I thought of one more that I, I thought would be interesting too. So I'll, I'll add on top of it. So yeah. Sarah, one of the questions I was thinking of uh, was how do you think your ethnic background or your culture has given you any advantages into being able to relate to people? Yeah, I think um, language helps a lot. Like I also speak Arabic. That helps a lot with communicating with people. And, and something I learned, like um, I, I got my undergraduate degree in criminal justice and I had a professor that they 
had a, gave a lecture about this topic, and that is that so even if somebody speaks, like for example, um, like let's say for example you're in a Hispanic area in Chicago, you know, which is a very diverse city, and you're in an area that um, there's a lot of Hisp like a, a Mexican population, and you have a police officer who speaks English and Spanish, and you and then you have also the people that are being talked to who also speak English and Spanish. But the fact that somebody's speaking in their native language could change everything. You know, it, it could help with elaborating more, being more open with people by speaking their language. It doesn't language is not only a matter of just communication, but it's also a way of connecting with somebody. So speaking to somebody in their native language changes the entire dialogue, changes everything. And I think with financial planning, it's the same way. I try to obviously connect with everybody, but the, the language part also helps a lot with this. Fantastic. No. Totally agree with you and I appreciate your, your perspective on that. So with that said, I think we can go ahead and, and wrap things up. So thank you again, Sari, for, for joining our call on our podcast. Really, really appreciate your, your time this morning and wanted to give you an opportunity to share any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to promote before we finish out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. For, yeah, first of all, thank you guys so much for, for having me on. I appreciated talking to you guys and the questions you asked. You guys asked a lot of smart questions. I appreciate that. Um, something I want to just leave the audience with is like, remember to like, you know, you know, since it's, since the name of our show is called Thinking Like a Bank, you know, we show people how to think like a bank, you know, not just always thinking like consumers or thinking like customers, but rather how do we think, you know, like a large financial institution, even if you're not, how do you, how do you position, you know, your, your mindset that way to seek more financial freedom, you know, in your life. So that, that's, that's what I want to leave the audience with, you know, remember to always think like a bank. Awesome. And where can they find you? Yeah, so they could find um, the, the easiest way to connect with me is through our website. It's finassetprotection.com, F-I-N, assetprotection.com. And then there's a link schedule now. You can schedule a free 15-minute call. And if you do that, I'll send you a free copy of the book, Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. So you go to finassetprotection.com, schedule a free appointment, and I'll send you a free copy of the book. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Sarah. We appreciate your time. And thank you again to all of our listeners. We will see you all next time. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we'd be honored if you would review us wherever you listen to our podcast. We are actively looking for people of color to send us their resumes and career aspirations. So please log on to untappedrecruiting.com to learn more.